Moncrief on News Talk. Uh, 5316 for your text and um, it is that time of week and Graham Finley is here for Tell Me Why. This week we're going to be discussing just why do fermented foods taste so good. Graham, how are you today? Not bad, how are you, Tom? I'm very well. So fermented foods taste good, eh? They, I, I think they do. And I mean, it's actually really striking how many of our favorite foods are fermented. Um, because And there are different kinds of fermentation, but all of them are... Um, are really, really popular, some more in other cultures than others. But, uh, you know, if you think about it, just, you know, all the, and they're also really good for us. So all the things which are, are real staples of our diet or we might be looking forward to, alcohol, but also yogurt and uh, pickles and, and all these things, they're just, they're just extremely popular. They, they taste really good and they're really good for you. Uh, and more important, they, they go back to the beginnings of just about every culture you can think of, every culture, as it were, cultures. And uh, fermented foods have been with us since before there was cooking. And in fact, even since before we were people. So we've evolved to, to really enjoy these foods and to benefit from them. So we're a very happy um, chemistry between us, for fermentation and humans. This is good. And one of the key factors, one of the key flavors is the fifth taste. I didn't even know there was such a thing. That's the thing, yeah. So there's there's salt, sour, uh, bitter, and sweet, uh, and uh, and an umami, which was a, a term coined by a Japanese scientist, which is that savory taste. And uh, what happens when you're fermenting foods, especially things like kimchi? So there's three kinds of fermentation. There's lactic acid fermentation, which is when you know yeast and bacteria break down starches and sugars and carbohydrates into acids, alcohols, and and so maybe some other sugars. Um, there's ethanol fermentation, which turns it into the, the kind of alcohol we can drink. Um, and then there's acetic acid fermentation, which is when alcohol, like wine and other things, become you know the quite strong, sour form of, of fermentation, which is vinegar, uh, which can then be used to make pickles and things like that. So you know, all these things actually interrelate. But these different kinds of fermentations uh, do produce uh, some really important things. In the case of lactic acid fermentation, it produces glutamates. And glutamates are um, that's, you know, they're amino acids, which are that savory flavor you get, whether you're eating kimchi or uh, mushrooms, but also grilled meats. Grilled meats, um, you know, if you grill it, the, the cooking of the meat leads to a lot of this savory flavor, um, which people really, really enjoy. We think that it's because amino acids are really good for you. And so this helps us identify what the actual, uh, you know, wh what foods have that. It's also linked to receptors in our brain and in our gut, which, which makes us salivate and makes us really eager to eat, but also tells us when we've eaten enough. Uh, the, the gut receptors will say, look, you've had enough steak for now, um, time to cut it out. And, uh, you know, so it's really good for regulating our diet. But even more important, it's glutamates are the most active neurotransmitter in the brain. So it's the one which excites the brain to do more stuff. Uh, and so um, the glutamates really do perform a huge role in the body and especially in the brain in terms of uh, making the whole thing go. I, I can't help but be taken by the, the name Umami. Are you sure this Japanese scientist wasn't just saying, oh, mammy? Um, because, you know, these are, oh, mammy. Now we're talking yeah, no, I, my, really... Now, actually, one of the interesting things is many, many cultures have that sound, mama, mami, or whatever. Uh, for women, I do not, my Japanese is non-existent, so I have no idea oh, whether well, there's I, any kind yeah, of I would tend uh, to say that we're going to be crisps. 
Yeah, if I'm eating crisps, I'm dead set on oh, mammy. Um, and I, I would have them in the fifth category as well, which I didn't know existed before today. That's good. Um, so I suppose we better look at the science of, of the fermentation. What exactly is going on? Okay, well, so these um, fungi like yeasts um, and, uh, or bacteria, and in these cases, these are almost always good bacteria, start take it take hook onto the carbohydrates and the sugars and they break them down into um longer and more complex uh and more varied sort of uh chemicals again sugars acids and alcohols this is true even in bread uh and this produces also carbon dioxide which is why you know your bread rises and also why your your kimchi if you make kimchi like i've been doing during lockdown you know tends to burp out of the mason jar you know, and, and why your beer is, um, is uh, sparkling and, and why wine is sort of sparkling unless you let all of that carbon dioxide out. So that's what's happening. And, you know, from a food point of view, it's really pre-cooking the, the food. It's breaking it down so it's easier to digest. It's releasing a lot of flavors. It's, um, it's creating new flavors, these sort of very savory, you know, lactic acids, which we find. Incidentally, lactic acid is also, um, you know, the cause of the pain you feel in your calves or in your body if you're doing a lot of strenuous exercise. Um, fermentation is happening in your limbs, and this buildup of lactic acid is what causes the pain. I mean, I wouldn't know myself, but I'm told that this, no. this is an experience people have. So, um, and so that pre-cooking quality is what makes it so good for both our gut it makes it easier for us to digest it makes it easy for us to get easier for us to get the nutrients out of the foods uh, and that's why these foods have um, have been popular since the get-go but also it happens very very easily um, especially in hot places you know where these reactions can can take place so people as soon as they started drinking other species milk they noticed that it had a tendency to separate. It had a tendency to start fermenting into yogurt, basically. And again, this separation with whey and, and into and cream, I mean, the separation of cream happens slightly before, but you can perform other manipulations on it to ferment it further into cheese. And yogurt and cheese, I mean, yogurt, especially cheese, lasts a lot longer than fresh milk. Uh, and so we can we can assume that most of these cultures, and, and there's a reason why it developed in sort of the Middle East or West Asia, you know, because the temperature and, you know, the use of milk um, is longstanding there and, and the temperature is just right. Uh, but, you know, this this development allowed people to transport the, the, the yogurt and the cheese long distances to store it up for, for long periods of time and really allowed people to, to have a much more secure food source, um, even at the earliest part of human history. Right, so people were noticing this and, and learning the lessons as they went along, um, and really so long ago. But um, in terms of the fermentation, there are, there, there's primary fermentation and secondary fermentation. What's the difference between them? Right, so primary uh, fermentation is what happens right away. The, the microbes really start going to town on, on the raw fruit, um, and, and that's really, really important because you wanted to get in there uh, before the bad bacteria bad from the point of view of eating this food later because the bad bacteria is going to cause it to rot rather than to uh, to become something delicious like sauerkraut or something like that so they that's when they really initially just start breaking it down um, and they're turning all the sugars into these these new substances secondary fermentation is when it keeps going and again maybe people tend to focus on things like wine right for some reason uh, and and yeah. so secondary fermentation you know wine nerds will, will know 
is uh, the process, you know, which can take much, much longer, right? I mean, the, so the first process is really the initial hit of a couple days, right, maybe. But the secondary fermentation is where you get a lot more of this complexity, but it can go on for weeks. Uh, and again, there's been this huge fad for natural wines where people use natural yeast, yeast uh, occurring in the wild. Um, and in fact, we basically discovered how to make wine when we started jumping on grapes to make grape juice and, and all the yeasts on our feet, they think this happened. I mean, the, the first record is in Georgia, the, the state, not, not the state, the country, um, about 6,000 years ago. But, you know, these yeasts are, are everywhere. They're on the skins of the fruit and so forth. Um, you know, and so they, you know, they keep going. They keep producing alcohol uh, until they produce enough alcohol between about 12 and 15 percent alcohol, and then this kills them off, which is kind of tragic if you think about it. But uh, that's why it's really hard to get wines to, to be a bit above you know, 15 or 16 percent right. alcohol. Um, and, and, and so that's the secondary fermentation. It produces a lot of um, carbon dioxide. And if you do that in the bottle, the way they do in champagne, right, you get a sparkling wine, right? Whereas if you, you know, okay. keep the, the, the vat open, it, 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 it comes on out. And, and so, you know, now we've, we've, been, we've known about this for so many years. People now, you know, winemakers usually inculcate certain yeasts in the, in the wine to make sure, and in other fermented products, to make sure they get the result they want. But there's this new trend to just using whatever is around in the atmosphere. Right. Um, people are fascinated by how we started. From an evolutionary point of view, why would we, why would we like the taste of these foods? foods? Surely back in the day, it would have been dangerous to eat foods that had gone bad or had microbes in the masks, Jen, and other listeners saying, um, if I just start letting stuff go off in my house, could I invent a new delicious food? Uh, or let's want to know about you that. You could, or you I, might kill yourself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a really, really great point. Um, well, I mean, you know, you do want to be really careful about this. You want to keep, you know, your, your, your fermenting containers, you know, as clean as possible. You can actually sanitize them pretty easily, sterilize them. You can even use the Instant Pot, which is what I've been doing, and this is an endorsement if, if Instant Pot's listening. But in any case, um, you know, you want to keep it clean because you want the good bacteria and microbes to be at work and not the bad ones. Um, and so what we can assume happened is it was trial and error. And, you know, we came down from the trees about 10 million years ago, and it wasn't us, it wasn't human beings, it was our, our ancestors. Uh, and we probably ate a lot of rotting stuff, which killed us. Uh, and in fact, one of the interesting things about fermented fish, of which um, the Nordic nations have some really, really interesting ones, where you yeah. sort of basically bury fish in the ground for two years and then eat it. And uh, I had a wonderful encounter with a Finnish colleague and friend who he was super proud of a video from some guys in, uh, in Texas trying surströmling, which is, you know, fermented fish, which is apparently the worst smelling substance on earth. And he's got pictures of them throwing up, just smelling it. And he points out, in the background, you can see the cameraman is also throwing up, you know. And anyway, um, <laughs> he was very proud of this. Uh, but, you know, the first, it, apparently for the first basically month or two, if you ate this fermenting fish or any other kind of rotting animal carcass or fermenting animal carcass, it's, it might kill you. It's going to make you really, nice. really sick. But after, about, after that, it's actually being sanitized, and that's one of the things. The, this food is safer to eat than, than stuff which has maybe gone off just recently. So that's one reason why um, people survived, and we're still talking today. But, and okay. also, you know, but obviously there was a lot of trial and error. One of the interesting things is, we developed the gene. It's a single gene for, for the processing ethanol, which is the kind of alcohol you can drink, 10 million years ago. 
when we came down, wow. they think when we came down from the trees and started eating all we the fallen ready. fruit instead of the fruit in the trees, and that's yeah. that's when we started in. So we've we've been doing this for a long time. Ten million years ago, and ready to party. And the the evidence of uh, beer uh, and so that's going back to around seven thousand BC, is it? That's it. Um, people, I mean, again, human beings have been doing this again for quite a while. Um, we have evidence of people drinking fermented uh, beverages um, from before, even a beer which is even older, 13,000 years old, which has is the consistency of gruel, which is really appetizing. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure the beer messiah would, would have something to say about that. But you know, this is one of the first things we did as, as cooking humanity is to try and uh, come up with alcoholic drinks. And that's kind of interesting because alcohol in itself doesn't have much of a taste. And it's not really clear that we drink them for the taste. In fact, it's pretty clear that we don't. People initially started doing this in China, again, and, and possibly 13,000 years uh, ago before, uh, 13,000 years ago in, in what is now Israel. Uh, people initially started doing it, it seems pretty clear, for the effect, right? Because right. we naturally Straight like sweet off. things. We naturally... Yeah. Um, you know, babies like sweet things. Almost every culture likes sweet things. When they do polls of people, you know, they ask them what they, they, they like, and, and, and they, they like sweet things. The Greeks used to drink and favor sweet wine as opposed to dry wines, um, although they had some dry wines. But um, so people clearly drink coffee and alcohol and, and bitter things and, and not sweet things for the effect. And in fact, if you poll large numbers of people, they'll tell you that. They'll say, I drink coffee to, to feel aroused and I feel it, drink alcohol to calm me down. Um, they don't say I drink nice. alcohol because of its nuances of flavor, which are being produced through all this fermentation. Well, uh, and, some and people so, do. And in fact, in, yeah, no, I mean, I, know, I love wine as much as the next person. Um, but it's interesting that, that when they do all these tests on people to try and determine what the level of alcohol is in a particular product, people are, are really bad at determining what the level of alcohol is. And if you take away all the flavors and just mix alcohol with pure water, people just really can't tell what the level of alcohol is if it's below mm. about 10%. You know when you fall over, though. Um, it, the, the basic <laughs> question, though, of why we crave these fermented foods, because that, that's the real, because it, it is a craving with people. Yeah, and again, it's 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 just there's something which really stimulates your 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 desire to eat, right? It it makes you want to eat them, right? Quite quite literally. And actually, one of the interesting things about so so all these fermented foods, again, like kimchi and sauerkraut and pickles and things like that, which again, if you look at Asian cultures, involve you know every single meal involves multiple fermented foods, whether it's soy sauce, fish sauce, pickles, huge huge thing in yeah. Japan and Korea and so forth. Um, so that makes, you know, it's a really great counterpart to maybe the main part of the meal, which might be some kind of starch or something like that. Various African dishes also serve this role, fermented um, African dishes. Uh, it's, it's, it's the little, a little thing which makes you really ready to eat everything in front of you. Another thing which has that sort of effect is alcohol. Alcohol makes food taste better, <laughs> or it certainly makes you right. want to eat it. Uh, and in fact, so, so if you think there, you, know, you want a kebab at two o'clock in the morning after a heavy night out, just because you love the taste of kebabs, you're wrong. Uh, it's, you know, yeah. Alcohol will make people eat more, which is why restaurants love selling this stuff. Uh, and right. um, it also, it, it does make us appreciate the sort of active eating more. And so again, uh, our relationship with alcohol goes back a long time and has really informed years. so much of our food culture. 
Yeah, 10 million years is what I heard. Um, one very quick question for her that you go, why is it that we don't like the taste of alcohol at the start, but then it grows on us? Yeah, well, again, it's there. So it's the other side of why we crave fermented foods, which is that we've always been sort of seeing them accompanying our, 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 whether it's alcohol, you know, with our food or whether it's pickles on the side and things like that. So it's really largely cultural and it, it symbolizes okay. so much. I mean, so having a glass of wine with dinner seems sophisticated. And if you're a young person starting out, and this obviously is a very, very dangerous sort of dynamic, um, you will associate drinking alcohol with adulthood. And, and, and some people will just say, look, I really don't like the taste of this. And they'll say it to people, it's like, oh, keep trying yeah. it. You'll like it eventually. Yeah. Right? And that isn't really maybe the greatest message to be sending people. People should go with, right. with their, their guts, as it were. Um, and so it, it's got all this cultural freightedness, Absolutely. which is both good in, in, in the terms of especially these very beneficial fermented foods, yeah. but also is potentially problematic when it comes to pressuring ourselves to drink alcohol maybe more than we might otherwise want to. Okay. Graham, I think the phrase you use there, go at your gut, is the best way to, to end this conversation today. So, um, Graham, thank you very much. That was absolutely fascinating as always. And um, I think you can listen back to the podcast of that as well. Thanks very much for joining us, Graham. We'll have a quick break back after this. Moncrief on News Talk.